right, if you got your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. It'll be in your outline on the screen. Uh, if you have your version Bible app, you can turn it there. And while you do so, um, as we get there, I do want to make a quick statement. Um, I would like to apologize to you um, and those who will watch this recording later. Um, I, I asked if I should do this. I was told it was not necessary, but I think it's important in um, the church, but also in our culture today. Um, last week, I was given an illustration, and I got a little specific in mentioning um, where the individual came from, uh, talking about that the conversation was with a gentleman from the former church that met um, at our North Augusta location, and uh, that was poor judgment, um, because we as a church want to support and encourage other churches, and that can give the perception that we're kind of anti but also the fact that I could have done that in a different way. So if you weren't here, you might not even know what's going on. Um, that's fine. I just want to apologize because I could have done that in a more tactful, um, in different way. I could have gotten my point across in a different way. And just to let you know, um, I had a conversation with our elders afterwards, and they gave me some loving direction and correction. Um, and that's why we have elders as a church. I'm not beyond correction. I'm not beyond guidance. I'm not beyond learning. I will stick my foot in my mouth. I will, do, I will get it wrong. Again, I'm human, but I thank you for their love. I thank you for their guidance. Um, and I want you to know that this church um, has a biblical structure um, to help protect you, but also to help protect other people because we don't want to harm people and we don't want to give the wrong impression. So I just wanted to apologize to you as a church for using poor judgment, um, for presenting that um, conversation in the way that I did because I could have made a better um, point. Uh, I could have made the same point in a better way. So um, please forgive me. Um, as we've been talking about, this is us as a, a, a church, and we've kind of been going through our mission statement, and I figure I'd stay in that vein this week as we continue on, especially as we're, where we're moving as a church. And so our mission as a church, um, once again, is to be a community of believers dedicated to the glory of God by extending radical grace for the broken, growing in spiritual maturity, and leading people to become passionate followers of Jesus through the gospel. Now, as we talk about this, um, I believe that we can look back, and this is a very popular passage of Scripture that we'll be looking at today, but I believe we can look back to the early church, and we can look back to the early Christians, and we can be guided by them, and we can see some principles and some truths that can guide us as a church and lead us in a healthy way when it comes to our spiritual lives, but also our personal lives, as it comes to the family of God and this community of believers. Remember, we talked about the first week that we are um, a group of believers that have common unity around certain behaviors, certain principles, certain values. And so um, I see this, and I believe we can see these things in Acts chapter 2. So we're going to begin in verse 38 um, through 41, and we'll move on through to 40, uh, verse 47 today. Um, it says this, Peter replied, repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them saying, be saved from this corrupt generation so that, in verse 41 says, so those who accepted his message 
were baptized, and on that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. So on the day of Pentecost, we see here that um, Peter is preaching this um, message to this multitude of people. And what it tells us is that there's this large gathering of people there. He's preaching the gospel to them. He's preaching and calling them to repent and to trust in Jesus for salvation. And verse 41 tells us this once again. So those who accepted his message, the, the gospel, the message of repentance, were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. And so in one day, preaching the gospel, preaching a call to repentance, preaching to trust in Jesus for salvation, we see that um, through the, the move of the Holy Spirit, through the work of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people were added to the family of God, were added to the local church in this one day. And then Luke, the author of Acts, um, shares with us what the Christians did from there. So, so this is the forming of the, the early church. This is the forming of the first century church. And then these Christians did some certain, certain things that we can learn from. So verse 42 tells us they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So, so these Christians were immediately transformed from being spiritually dead to being made spiritually alive through the Holy Spirit. They respond to the message of the gospel, and they were so serious about their faith, the scripture tells us that they devoted themselves to some very important practices. Now, all of us are devoted to something. We, we all devote our lives to things. We devote our time to things. Um, in fact, oftentimes what we devote ourselves to, like we're declaring a value system, we're declaring a love or a passion to those things. Um, for some, it's politics and it's political parties and things like that. They're so devoted. Um, even in uh, the church and within Christianity, it can cause division because we're so divided, div div uh, devoted. I, I, got, I want to mix devoted and divided. Too, too close of words to, to put together. We're so devoted to a politician or to a political party that we forget that we're called to be devoted to the kingdom of God and to Christ as our king, that we're now a part of a new um, generation, a new group of people, that, um, and, and so it divides us. And, and so some people are so devoted to things like that. Some people are devoted so much to a chicken sandwich that they'll sit out in line, they'll camp out for days at a time, for 24 hours to op for the opening of a new uh, Chick-fil-A or the opening of a new you know, other restaurant that does the same promotion, that if you're the first 100 in line, you're going to get free chicken for a year. You're going to get free sandwiches, free drinks, whatever it might be. And people will camp out for days in order to get that. They're so devoted to that or to concert tickets or to um, you know, new devices. That used to be the thing with iPhones and people would camp out. I think Corel was one of those. He's Mr. iPhone. And so uh, anytime I've got a question about a Mac product, I ask Corel because he, uh, he knows it all when it comes to that. And, and so um, some people, Black Friday, y'all remember before they, you know, the stores just kind of made it a whole week long, you know, thing, Black Friday, where people would like camp out, they'd line up, they would miss Thanksgiving with their family just so they could be in line to get a $5 toaster or something stupid like that. They would trample each other. Uh, they were devoted. They, they were committed to that. Uh, for some, it's a, a healthy lifestyle of eating and working out and things like that. We're a devoted people. But the question would be, what are we devoted to? As followers of Jesus, as Christians in this modern day and in this country, 
what are we devoted to? Because we're a devoted people. And what we devote ourselves to um, declares priorities. It declares value. It declares um, what we um, value and what we love and what we carve out time for. When we make things a priority, it declares our value system. What we're doing is, if this is a priority in my life, then I'm saying no to certain things. I'm going to say no to these things in order to say yes to what I prioritize, to say yes to what I value. And oftentimes as Christians, we see that this gets flipped upside down and we see that this gets mixed up and we start saying yes to a bunch of things that make us say no to the more important things when it comes to our spiritual lives, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our spiritual growth, when it comes to the things that we're called to be obedient to. We say yes to so many things. We made so many things a devotion or a priority in our life that, that the Christian things, the things of God's word, the things that actually will benefit us spiritually become, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, accessories. It's just something we kind of put on and we take off. Rather than being like our skin, it becomes an accessory like the watch. I'll put it on when I need it. I'll put it on when it's convenient. I'll put it on when I have a need. I'll put it on when I'm going through a very dark time in my life. But other than that, like I'm going to say yes to so many other things. And so when we make things a priority, we say no to certain things in order to say yes to certain things. And so as Christians, we need to ask ourselves, are we saying no and yes to the right things? Are we saying no to the right things? And are we saying yes to the right things? Thing. See, these Christians were serious about their faith, that their transformation was genuine and it was real. And so the first thing they do is they set some right priorities in their life. So, so this transformation had become so real to them. Th this experience with Jesus had become so genuine to them. They immediately said, you know what, I'm going to start saying yes to these things and no to some other things. It might have been no to some things that they, they had done their whole life. It could have been no to some things that they, um, hobbies and things that they love to do, but in comparison to Christ and comparison to the church, they said that the, the, it doesn't hold any weight. As Paul said, he, he considered um, even the accomplishments of his life that he could point to and, uh, and brag about and, and really take pride in as dung. So, so in some ways, like they are looking to these things maybe that they used to be committed to, that used to be priorities, and they're considering them as worthless compared to the things they're now about to say yes to. You can write this down. I've got a lot of fill in bl the blanks today more than I normally do, but you can write this down. A healthy spiritual life is shaped by setting the right priorities. A healthy spiritual life is shaped by setting the right priorities. If we're going to have a healthy spiritual life, we're going to have to set the right priorities. If we're going to have a healthy spiritual life, we're going to have to say yes to some things and no to some things that are help, that's going to help pave that path for us to be um, healthy spiritually. I'm one of those who um, have been, I've devoted myself to healthier eating. And if you follow me on Facebook, you've seen that some. I'm, I try not to overwhelm it, but um, I, I, I hit my goal weight. And so over the last few days, I've kind of posted a little more, but um, I've lost 24 point something pounds now um, and um, been eating healthier, uh, running, going to the gym. And I'm so devoted to this that I've had to say no to some things in order to say yes to some things. That there's been things that I've had to carve out in my schedule in order to make that happen. 
There were some things that I had to weigh to go, do I want to accomplish this goal or do I not? Because if I want to accomplish this goal, I'm going to have to say no to some things in order to say yes to some things. Now, to get there sometimes it takes a little bit of craziness because I will go run at 1130 at night. I will go to the gym at 1 a.m. And Nikki's like, are you serious? So, so you say no sometimes to sleep or you say no to the fried food and yes to the grill, food, whatever, to get there. Why? Because I want a healthy spirit, uh, physical life. So to have a healthy physical life, I said yes to some things and I said no to some things. Well, if we're going to have a healthy spiritual life, we're going to have to say yes to some things. We're going to have to set the right priorities. The first thing we see here, and you can write this down, is Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The, the Christians in the first century devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, and I believe that's important for us today as well. See, this was a consistent practice for them. If you read Acts 2, 42, you see that it was a consistent, constant practice that they participated in. They would have had to have said no to certain things in order to say yes to learning God's word. They thought that learning God's word and learning from the apostles and learning this gospel was so important that in order to say yes to it, we've got to prioritize it. And so therefore, I'm going to have to say no to some things that are going to stand in the way of that. And so in order to, be, um, to have this healthy spiritual life from the beginning, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They said yes to it. Today, we teach the same thing. God's word doesn't change. We teach the same things that the apostles taught. We, we preach the whole counsel of God. And so if it was important for these Christians, then it's important for us today. Uh, before our service, there's services. I've got friends across the, the country who um, have early services, and some of them broadcast that. And so before I'm preaching to you today, I'm able to tune in online to um, someone else preaching so that I can spiritually be fed, because here I am feeding you, and I can only pour out what's being put, put into me. And so it's important to me as a pastor to learn God's Word. It's important for you as dads and husbands and mothers and wives and students and children to place yourself in a position where you are devoted to the teaching of God's Word, where you're devoted to those things. Now, I wonder today, have we as Christians set the right priorities? Here's the thing I've learned because I was a child. And here's the thing that I've learned because I was a teenager. The priorities that my parents helped set for me are what have guided me today. Some of those priorities were very positive and good and, and, and godly, but my parents weren't perfect. And so if there was a priority that was not set in a healthy way, chances are I learned from that as well. And there, might have, there, there may have been some other work that I've had to do as an adult to kind of change those priorities. But those good priorities, those priorities that have led me well in life, those are the things I didn't have to change. It made it easier for me as an adult because I didn't have to learn something new. I didn't have to form new habits. I didn't have to decide what was of value and what was not because they raised me in that way that as I grew and got older, I saw that the truth of God's word works. The, the truth of God's word leads me well. The truth of God's word um, helps me in my pursuit of Jesus. And so are we setting the right priorities? Are you devoted to submitting yourself to the consistent teaching of God's word? Have you made that commitment? 
Or, or is it just that accessory that you put on from time to time? Hey, we got, you know, we don't have anything going on this Sunday. We don't have anything going on this week. We, we, we can carve that out. We can make that happen. We, we can show, it's been a few weeks, it's been a few months, and so we, we can make that happen. Is it a priority or is it just something that is periodic, something that we just put on from time to time? Some people have become so devoted to things like, you know, travel, travel sports, um, fishing, sleeping, watching church online, you name it, that the priorities have shifted in our culture in our day. That's why a lot of churches have struggled coming out of 2020 and 2021 because people's priorities change. You mean I can attend church or I can, I can watch church and stay in my pajamas and stay in bed? Then that's my priority. I loved it during 2020. We, pre we ended up getting to the place where we pre-recorded our messages and I could be online and I could help chat and stuff like that. In fact, one time somebody texted me and I was like, I'm preaching, stop texting me. It was, it was great, but it's not what we've been called to do. We've been called to gather. We've been called to come together to make this a priority. And so we've become devoted to so many things. We've said yes to so many things in the world that we end up saying no to the more important things. The, the, the teaching of God's word becomes periodic rather than a priority. It becomes every once in a while, rather than something that's consistent and constant in our life. And so these Christians say yes to the important things. Are we saying yes to the important things? Are we saying yes to the right things? The second thing you can write down is Christians devoted themselves to the fellowship. Christians devoted themselves to the fellowship. That word fellowship comes from the word koinonia. It's the association, community, joint participation, and intimacy. That, that's what that original word that fellowship comes from, an association, community, joint participation, and intimacy. Sunday morning is designed for corporate celebration. We've talked about this two weeks ago, of singing, of giving, of the music, of praying, of the arts, and of teaching God's word. But, but look around. Just take a second and look beside you. Look around. Look behind you. Is this a very intimate environment? If the koinonia is intimacy, if it's community, is this a very intimate environment? It's not. You're sitting here not getting to know anyone. You're hearing from me. You're seeing our musicians. Like they, There's a little bit of, of things that you're experiencing, but you're not experiencing intimacy. There's no community happening here. Sunday morning is designed for a certain purpose in the church. Primarily corporate celebration, primarily corporate teaching of, the, of God's word, because we see that through scripture. We see in the Old Testament where they went through um, the scriptures, the Old Testament writings, um, and then we see it even in the New Testament. There is a purpose for this. You're fulfilling that purpose, but we're not fulfilling fellowship, koinonia. We're not associating with one another. We're not building intimacy with one another. That doesn't happen here. Besides the singing, which I think only some people participate in anyway, we, we would want everyone to participate. There, there is no joint participation in the service. Unless you're singing, you, you're not participating in the way that we see koinonia, a joint participation. And so this fulfills a purpose but we don't see, when we look at what God meant in his word through the original language, koinonia, we do not see that fellowship happening on Sunday. So even if you're like, hey, I'm committed to Sunday, 
This is a priority in my life. We're not completely fulfilling what we see from the early Christians and the priorities that they set because they were committed and they were devoted to having intimate community, jointly participating together in certain things. And so Sunday morning fulfills one purpose, but also it's not designed to, to fulfill the full purpose of what we see in the community of faith. This is intimate, joint participation of community. You may have heard this uh, said before, and you can write this down. People grow better in circles than in rows, but I kind of expanded that to say people grow better spiritually and relationally in circles than in rows. When we do community groups, we meet in homes. We kind of sit circled up. We kind of sit like you would at a family get-together, like a gathering in the living room, because it's a different environment. It's designed more for intimacy. It's designed more for relationship and community, joint participation. That's why often in a lot of our groups, even in my group, we'll use like Right Now Media, and we'll have another pastor kind of teach us, like J.D. Greer or someone else, and they'll teach a lesson, and then we discuss it as a group. We hear from one another when we talk about the truth of God's Word. How did this apply to your life? How, how have you seen this truth come to life in your situation, in your scenario? So while we have teaching, the, the primary function that we are participating in is growing relationally, but also growing spiritually through joint participation. There's intimacy being formed there. How do you become intimate with your spouse or with someone you're dating? Conversation, spending time with one another. That's what we see in Scripture. There was this fellowship happening. It was happening in homes even daily, the Scripture says. And so, as we have said, community is having that common unity around certain values, beliefs, and practices. And so, the early Christians intimately knew each other. They, they participated together in the things that they valued and they believed. That's what was happening. They had common unity around the apostles' teachings and the truth of God's Word. At New Passion, we have six core values. We call them our G6. They're God's glory. It's the gospel. It's grace. It's growth, which we're talking about today, our spiritual growth and what helps enable that. It's generosity and it's going. It's not staying behind these walls. It's going into the world to make disciples. It's going um, outside of this community, outside of just this gathering into the world. And so in this community, what we see from the early Christians is they did all of life together, that they shared life they broke bread. They ate meals together. They sat around the table. They sat around however their housing was in that day. They shared life with one another. It was spiritual community. It was personal community. It became a normal part of their life. So, so I mean, almost instantaneously, they hear the gospel. They repent. They trust in Jesus. 3,000 in a day. And the scripture says, those who believe the message those who had become so serious about their faith in an instant said, we're going to be devoted to certain things to be spiritually healthy. We're going to devote ourselves to the teaching of God's word. We're going to be devoted to the fellowship. But then they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. We see Paul write in Colossians 4 verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. So here Paul is saying, as followers of Jesus, as those who are Christians, we need to devote ourselves to prayer. 
Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. He then says in Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, and be persistent in prayer. We see Paul encourage Christians over and over again to be persistent, to be devoted to prayer. He makes it clear that this is an expectation. It's a need for Christians for us to be devoted to prayer. This means that we make it a priority in our life. And to make it a priority, that means we also, when it comes to prayer, need to say no to some things that would distract us and that would hinder us from having a healthy prayer life. If we're going to say yes to prayer, then we're going to need to say no to some things that distract us from being able to do that. I'm talking about personally, individually, but I'm also talking about as a church. When we talk about the challenges over the last few years, when, when even we as pastors have talked amongst ourselves about some of the difficulties and things like that, I wonder how many of us, because I know I've failed in this area, how many of us call our churches to prayer? How fervent have we become in prayer? I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says three things I want to share with you on prayer. One is this, no man can progress in grace if he forsakes prayer. How do we progress in grace? Through prayer. If we struggle with giving grace, then we need to pray more. We need to be fervent in prayer. We need to be persistent in prayer. We need to make prayer a priority. If you struggle in understanding and receiving and knowing the grace that you have in Christ Jesus, we need to pray more. We need to spend that time with God. The other thing he said was this, he who knows how to overcome with God in prayer has heaven and earth at his disposal. So many times we try to just grip and grit our way through. We white, try to white knuckle ourselves through difficulty and challenges and struggles and, and all of these setbacks in life. We have to figure it out. We have to take time to try to come up with a plan. We have to come up with a new strategy. We have to come up with a new outreach initiative. We have to come, out, come up with all these different things. But do we devote ourselves to prayer? Charles Spurgeon says that for those who learn to overcome in prayer has heaven and earth at his disposal. Think about that. The limit to your power, the limit to your abilities, and yet if you can learn to overcome in prayer, you have all of God that you need, you have all of the wisdom that you need, because it is through prayer that we overcome these things. It is through prayer that is our only defense, it is our only offense, is going to God in prayer. Prayer itself, he says, the third thing, Prayer itself is an art which the Holy Ghost can teach us. He is the giver of all prayer. Pray for prayer. Pray till you can pray. I love this because as a pastor, as a youth pastor, um, one of the things that I often hear and am told um, coming up in different you know, roles in the church is either I don't know how to pray or I'm afraid to pray or whatever, whatever that might be. I'm not a good prayer. And I love this because he says, pray to pray. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you that ability, to give you that help. One, practice makes perfect. So the more we pray, the easier it comes. But he says, pray for prayer because it's a gift given to us by the Holy Spirit, something he can teach us. And then pray till you can pray. Make it a practice, make it a priority so that you do feel more comfortable because we should never be embarrassed to pray. We should never be shy about praying. I often say, because I always get asked 
Um, I'm, I'm sure any other uh, pastor, Steve's probably the same way, maybe in his family, um, Corell and his, you know, when it times, it's time to like pray for the meal, guess who they ask? The pastor, as if we've got some special connection for this meal. Sometimes I do because, and she can tune into this, she knows that my mom will pray for every need in the world and is like, the food's getting cold, you just had to pray for the food. And we joke with her. So on those moments, I might jump in and go, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll get it. But, but we always get asked to pray for that because maybe others don't feel comfortable doing it. But look, I always joke, I say, that's okay, I don't mind talking to God. Because that's what it's about. It's about talking to God. It's about having a conversation with Him. It's not just about um, what people are going to think about us, but the more we pray, the more comfortable we'll be with it, the more practice we will be. But it's, a, it's given to us by the Holy Ghost. He helps enable us, and He can teach us how to pray. You can write these three things down with prayer. Prayer is the place we grow in our personal knowledge of God. I went to my Baptist roots with this. I, I got all six P's. Sometimes I'll go to the thesaurus. Can I keep this simple and memorable? Prayer is the place we grow in our personal knowledge of God. We want intimacy with God. This, this is our conversation to talk with Him. Prayer is not always about just getting what we want. It's not about our wish list. It's about aligning our heart with God's will and with His heart. It's about knowing Him. It's about communing with Him. It's just like you do at home with your spouse, with your kids. You talk to them. You have conversation with them. It's our way of getting to know God, not only through his word, but through communing with him. You're talking to a real God. You're not just talking to the air. You're not talking to the clouds. You're not talking to yourself. You're talking to the creator God. You're talking to your heavenly father. It's how you get to know him intimately. Prayer is the process by which we obtain power from God. Another quote from Spurgeon is talking about the, the, a church that a powerful church is a praying church. If we're going to be a powerful people in this community and for the ministry that he calls us to as individuals, but also as a church, a corporate gathering, it will come through prayer. If we're going to have power, it comes through prayer. And the final thing is this, prayer is the platform by which we plead on behalf of others. Intercessory prayer. It's our opportunity to come before God, not just to dump on him what we want and our needs, which he loves hearing our needs. He tells us to bring our needs before him. And so we have that opportunity. We have that platform to make our own needs known, but it's also that platform by which we can plead on behalf of others. I can't even count anymore the number of people weekly. I meet with a group of pastors on Thursday to pray and we've brought needs from our congregation and families that are struggling with cancer and, and bodies being eaten up with cancer and struggling with cancer. And so every week we're bringing these and we're praying for these people weekly with one another, people from our own different congregations, praying for them. It's that opportunity every Thursday for us to come together to plead on their behalf, praying for their healing, praying for their treatment and all that goes into that. And so I wonder... Are you faithful in prayer in your personal life, but also corporately when we call you to pray, when we do the, 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 the bend and the prayer vigil and those things, which are kind of temporary. We need to make those things more consistent. Are you committed? Are you devoted to prayer? Because this is what we see from the early Christians. 
Our community groups need to be devoted to prayer. It doesn't need to just be all about the lesson. It doesn't need to be all about the discussion. It needs to be spending time in prayer. Some people often will joke about my long prayers. I'm sorry. I don't like, you know, I don't tell my wife like, oh, 30 seconds. I'm done. We, we have to end this conversation. They joke with me. But, but we need to spend more time in prayer because it is where we get our power. It is where we get to personally know God. With a deepening intimacy and familiarity with God, there will be growing delight in being in his presence through prayer. So you might end up spending more time in prayer. You, you might end up finding that you delight in that time of prayer. Why? Because it becomes familiar. It becomes, it becomes comfortable because you're growing in that intimacy with God. Prayer must be our priority. It's the process by which we humble ourselves before God. And I, and I want to repent of something. I want to confess something. I've often called us to some kind of physical action before I've called us to prayer. Oftentimes, finances are, 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 are struggling, or we need help serving in an area, or whatever it might be. And it's like, hey, we need new, more volunteers. Hey, if, if you're not partnering with us in giving, hey, whatever. And, and, I'm, and I find myself maybe calling you to something that we should be calling ourselves to prayer. Hey, church, we need to pray about this. Hey, church, we, we need to get on our knees. We need to make this a matter of prayer. We need to, we need to um, bombard heaven with this need, because this is a need. Before we do any other asking, may we be known to be asking God first. May we be known to be going to him first, asking for wisdom, asking for direction. Verse 43 tells us, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. God worked mightily through the apostles this is simply describing what took place. It doesn't mean if we do these things, it's not a religious checklist. It doesn't mean that we're going to see the same results. We're, 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 we can't go, hey, hey, now if we devote ourselves to the teaching of God's word, to the fellowship and to prayer, man, we're going to see 3,000 people added to the church in one day. That's not what this is telling us. God did many miracles. God did many wonders through the apostles. This is just describing what happened, but it is interesting to note that these things were taking place in an environment where the people had made these commitments, where they had devoted themselves to being taught God's word, where they were jointly participating and sharing in life together, where they were together praying. They were making prayer a priority, especially because they were praying. Verse 44 goes on and says, now all the believers were together and held all things in common. There was constant close proximity to one another. There was a striving to keep unified in all things. And I'll tell you, as a church and us as the, the, the family of God, it is much easier to stay unified and to stay in unity when we are, have common unity around certain things, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we are devoted to the teaching of God's Word, the psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, God. When we are committed to one another in close relationships, when we have that intimacy, we're going to be more unified. We're going to be more understanding of one another. Sometimes we're going to know, hey, that, that's probably not what they meant. Maybe they're just having a bad day because I know them. I believe the best in them. I love them. I, I know them intimately. And so therefore, it's not going to divide us because we're devoted to one another. 
So it's so much easier to have unity in the family of God when we know one another, when we have relationships, when we are intimate with one another, but also when we're growing in intimacy with God. Verse 45 goes on and says, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. You can write this down. Christians devoted themselves to generosity and selflessness. Christians devoted themselves to generosity and selflessness. These Christians weren't forced to do this by some government uh, system, by, by, by force or compulsion. This is something they devoted themselves to together because their lives had been so transformed by the gospel and by Jesus that this was now family. These weren't just strangers. This was the family. This was a, a family that they intimately knew. And so as they met and they had need, they would sell their possessions. They would do what they could to meet that need. Why? Because what the gospel tells us is God so loved the world that he gave. The gospel teaches us about sacrificial giving, not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. That's why God gave his only begotten son so that we would benefit. He would get the glory, but we would benefit. If you're in the household of God today, if you've been adopted as a son or a daughter, if you've been saved in Jesus Christ, you have benefited greatly by the sacrifice that the Father has made on your behalf. You couldn't make the sacrifice. You couldn't go to the altar enough and make enough burnt offerings and, and, and uh, animal sacrifices. You couldn't be good enough. You couldn't keep the law. And yet God said, that's okay, I'll fulfill it for you in my son Jesus, and he will be your sacrifice, and he will be your offering. And in Christ, we have salvation, and in Christ, we are blessed. And so he has sacrificially given for us, and so they recognize this in the gospel, and now as a family, they meet one another's need. Once again, this was among the household of faith. That there is a call to help those who are in poverty and, and the poor and th things like that. But there's a certain familial responsibility among the Christian family, which makes up the gathered church. There shouldn't be any need. And, and, and I want you to understand this need within the church, because he's provided everything we need in the household of faith. It's just the decision whether or not we will prioritize generosity if we will say yes to being generous, and that means we might have to say no to some other things. See, as a family, and I've told you this many times, and I don't say this braggingly, but several years ago, those priorities that were set for me, when, when Nikki and I were, um, I guess, early married, but, but it might have been even dating, we made, a, we made a choice that out of our, what God provided for us, we were tied. We give 10% of our, before the government, before any bills, we give back to God what we believe is a tithe. That's a starting point. Why? Because we prioritize our giving. We prioritize generosity. Why? Because if I'm going to preach it, not only do I have to live it, but I've lived this well before I preached it. But with integrity, I'm not calling you to anything that I don't live myself that I, don't, I can't show you on record, this is our priority. And in what we see in the early church, this was a priority. That means I might have to say no to some things, some material things, some pleasures, whatever, and say yes to this other. But here's the thing, I've never gone without. I've, I, I, God has blessed in many ways, um, in, in ways that I could never see. 
He, he honors that. I don't do it because he honors that. He just ends up honoring generosity. And that's what was a priority in this early church. Not just in individual lives, but also among the community. Generosity is an act of grace. It's also produced from a gospel-transformed heart. Generosity is our responsibility. It is our response based on our ability. It's our responsibility. We respond to the needs based on our ability. Just like we say it's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. We respond based on the ability that God has given us. And then finally, verse 46 and 47, it says, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Christians were committed to consistent spiritual and personal community with each other. Christians were committed to consistent spiritual and personal community with each other. I've got some guys, I'm going to ask, um, this is our response today. Um, you don't have to fill this out, but I want everybody to have a card or one per family. And so I've got some guys who are going to help me with this as we prepare to close. If you represent a family or an individual, if you'll raise your hand, these guys are going to make sure you get a card. Because what we see here in the scripture is meeting daily isn't prescriptive for all Christians. We don't see that they met daily. Um, that might have been different groups at different days. We don't know. It's just, once again, describing what took place. But it does reveal what's important for modern day Christians and what it produces, that consistent meeting together, that consistent spiritual and personal community with each other. It produced joy and sincerity. It produced praise to God and it produced favor among men. And what we see out of that is God grew their family with new believers daily. It took them outside of their home. It took them outside of their gathering and God blessed that. And so while we can't guarantee the same results, we do see how God works and how he worked in this early church. And this is what I need from you. As, as your pastor, and if you're a guest, I'm not your pastor, but I would still call you to the same thing at the church you attend or that, that God may place you at one day. This is what I would challenge you. This is what I need from you. And that's simply this, what we see from the early Christians Make being taught God's word on Sundays a priority. Make being taught God's word on Sundays a priority. This, this gathering is symbolic of what we see in Scripture. It looks different, different style, different music, but this is what they did. They gathered together for the apostles' teaching. The second thing is this. Make spiritual and personal community outside of Sunday a priority. Here's an action step for you. Look at God's word and then make a commitment to say, I need to make that a priority in my life and I need to join a community group. I, I need to have that intimate joint participation together as I see in scripture. I need a group of people that I can be devoted to prayer with. I, I need a group of people who will uh, jointly participate in knowing and understanding God's word. 
I need a group of people that we can meet one another's needs. When there's a baby that's going to be born, we can do a baby shower for them. When there's a need, someone's in the hospital, we can go visit them. When there's a, someone who's sick, we can provide a meal for them. Um, we can help meet the needs of the body together. But also maybe we challenge one another to be more generous in the overall congregation. The next thing is this, that's making a commitment to attend GroupLink on Sunday, September 18th, coming up in two weeks. It's going to be after service. We'll have lunch. We'll have child care if you have children. And there's no obligation. You're, you're not checking that box or going online and registering however you want to do it and, and saying, I'm joining a community group. It is that opportunity for you to learn about groups, to learn about what that looks like when they take place, if they have child care and so on and so forth. And the next thing I need is this. I need some of you to take a risk. I need some of you to step out of your comfort zone. I need some of you to say no to some things in order to say yes to some things and, and, and make a commitment to, to do one of two or three things. One, if we're going to have people make this a priority, we need some spiritually mature or even growing Christians. You're, you're like, hey, I'm not a teacher. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a pastor, whatever. Cool. But you've been, you've been around it long enough that you can facilitate a group. You can help guide that discussion. You, you can have a group of people come to your home and y'all can work through questions together. You can love one another. You can, you can pray for one another. You, you can have a group that you guide in a direction. So, so on your card, you would select the box that says that I can facilitate a group. If you have a home that you can invite people in, you can mark the box that says, and I can host it in my home. Or there's a box that says, hey, I can facilitate a group, but I would need a host home. Our home's too small. We don't really set up for that. But, but I can facilitate a group if someone would host that group. And so you can mark that box. And the final one is this. I can host a group. I, I, I don't feel like I could facilitate a group, but I could host it in my home. I can practice the gift of hospitality and I can open my home for someone else to facilitate. And what you will see here is there's going to be some people who say, I can facilitate, but I need a host home. And so you're helping provide a host home for that person who's going to take a risk and step out of their comfort zone and go, I can facilitate a group. And so today, this is the call to action. This is the call to practice our faith. This is the call to say, I, I'm trusting God to to. to, to Look at scripture to see what the early Christians did and go, if that was good for them, then it's good for me. And I'm going to say no to some things during the week so I can say yes to community groups. I'm going to say no to some things on the weekend so I can say yes to church. I'm going to say no to some things so that I can say yes to prayer. I'm going to say no to some things so I can say yes to generosity. I'm going to set the right priorities so that myself and my family can grow spiritually. So today as I pray, that is the prayer. That, that is the act of faith. God, what would you have me to do? What would be my next step? And this is what I'm going to ask you to do as the band comes and we close out with one final song. I'm going to call you to prayer. I'm going to call you to maybe kneel in your seat. I'm going to call you to the, the, the front where you can kneel and, and use this as an altar. Maybe you got something personal going on in your own life. You need to bring it to prayer. Maybe you're um, in, in making this decision. You want to take it to God in prayer. Maybe on behalf of the church. Maybe on behalf of, 
um, even Pastor Steve, who is going to be starting a new ministry uh, in the next couple of weeks. We're going to be commissioning him and celebrating what God's doing in his life. Maybe you want to come pray for him. This is our opportunity as a church to seek intimacy with God, but also the power that we need for everyday life. So whatever it is, use your seat as an altar. Use the front as an altar. Let us be a people that are devoted to prayer. Let us go to him in prayer. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the example of the early Christian that um, show us what's important in our life, that shows us the priorities that we need to set. And so, Father, we've, we've saw the example of the Christians in your word. We've heard the truth of your word. We've, we've heard the call to be committed to prayer, to be persistent in prayer. We, we've, we've, we've seen what you have called us to do. Now may we be obedient. Now we, may we be faithful to follow your word. God, may we all be committed to community. May we all make that a priority. May we all make prayer a priority. May we all make learning from your word a priority. So Father, whatever it is that you're calling us to, may we say yes to that. And Lord, if we've got to say no to some other things, may we have the courage and the boldness to say no to them. May we be willing to sacrifice personally in order to grow spiritually. May we prioritize our spiritual health and our spiritual growth and our relationship with you. God, I can say no more, but your spirit is alive and well. May your spirit move. May your spirit draw. May you guide us in the direction you want us to go church as we prepare to close out with song, I would encourage you come to the altar if you need something from God. Use your seat as an altar from God. Continue to pray in this moment as the band closes us with one final song.